good morning, good evening, and good afternoon. This is your host, Dalton Dismore, and this is The Faith Prospect. We are here today with Brother Dan Scott uh, in St. Louis, Missouri. How are you doing today, Brother Scott? Doing well, thank you. Man, so tell us a little bit about yourself. What what are you what are you doing right now? Well, right now I'm retired from how can I say from ministry as far as the pulpit is concerned. Mm-hmm. Um, when my wife became um, disabled and I had to take care of her, I had to I had to resign and had to. Um, cancel all my overseas trips and things like that so I could take care of her. Mm-hmm. Even when I was teaching at Urshan, uh, when Urshan was at, at the other location, I had to resign that. I was teaching on the Brother Little, Brother uh, Jim Littles. And uh, so actually, I'm just being a spiritual advisor wherever I can. Wow, man, I remember... Uh I told you earlier when you came here, but uh, when in my freshman year back in 2016, Brother Norris brought you in for our honors group, and and we just got to sit down and listen about, well, uh, really just your life, and and you taught us a little bit. So that was, it's good seeing you again. This is this is I'm I'm honored to be here with, uh, well, with you, someone who's been in ministry for 75 years. That's right. <laughs> but uh, I know you said that, that we started. You want to make sure that we give all honor to God. Yes. And, uh, man, everything everything we hear today. And, you know, that's really what this podcast is about. It's uh, making sure that everyone knows that, you know, all, there's different people in different, different parts of life, different areas of life. Some are ministers, some are just saints in the church. And I, and I don't want to say it that way, but you know, I mean that, but no matter who you are, what you're doing, God can use you if you if you allow him to. Yes, that's true. So tell us a little bit about how you came into church. Uh, well, um, it, it happened in 1946. Okay. Uh, that uh, I went to a uh, watch night service with with my mom, and uh, I had already given my heart to God, but it was in that night service that I knew that I was dedicated. Um, in fact, my mom told me, if you don't mind me saying it this way, she put her hands on her stomach when she was carrying me, and she dedicated me as her tithe. I'm the, I'm the tenth. I'm the tenth child, so I had, I had no option in life. <laughs> what a wonderful tithe! <laughs> so oh. that's the way it turned out. And uh, during that meeting that night, I dedicated my life to God in ministry. Wow. wow. So you felt? Did you feel the calling that night? Oh yes. I well, I had felt the calling long before that, but mm-hmm. I had not committed to it. Okay. So I was 13 years of age at that time, and uh, and God moved upon my life in such a manner that uh, it was awesome the way that he dealt with me that night. Wow. Man, and was it, did, did you hear like an audible voice, or did you, was it something no, you felt? No. Um, if, if an individual... 
dedicates himself to a spiritual relationship with Jesus Christ, there is a conversation that goes on in your mind. Mm. And God speaks to you, and you can you can converse with God in the same manner. Wow. I've, I've had that experience since the very beginning. Wow. Man, so you now you're 13, you've committed yourself to God, you, you've really you've answered the call. What what do you do next? Well, I began to speak in youth services and things of that nature at that age. I can remember if you don't mind a little humorous thing. <laughs> I was uh, I was either 15 or 16 and they had asked me to to preach and to be the speaker for the fellowship meeting mm-hmm. in our locality. And uh, when I when I announced my text, I heard awesome gasp behind me. I I I, uh, I gave my text as as the Song of Solomon. <laughs> and uh, but what it was was uh, chapter six, verse ten, mm-hmm. that speaks about who is she that cometh forth of the morning. Mm-hmm. And uh, of course, it's speaking about the church. And so I, I taught, I preached that night about the beauty of the church. <laughs> oh wow! So I think I, I think I let the brethren relax a little bit <laughs> at that age. But uh, I, I preached, I preached all over the Eastern Seaboard mm. as a as a teenager, and. Um, when I, I was five years too too young to receive license, mm-hmm. so um, the brethren, when they recognized that I was preaching everywhere and had never asked for license, you know, even because I knew I was too young, yeah, and it just sort of slipped my mind then. <laughs> but one day I went to the post office and I pulled out a big envelope and it was my local license. <laughs> So the, I didn't meet the district board for that because wow. they knew me too well, I'm sure. Wow. And the same thing happened with the generals after two years of me. <laughs> so when, were you, when did you receive your general? Uh, at age 22. Wow. Okay. Okay, man. So you you just forgot you just forgot and they said it to you they're like well we need this guy so we well my uh, my pastor was also my presbyter and he asked me one time he said when are you going to apply for license and I, I I've always been a humorous person yeah I like fun yeah you know if it's a good clean kind and, and I asked him would it help me to preach and he says well I doubt that and he <laughs> said, I said well then why should I <laughs> but uh, I was serious and so was he when the time came that uh, I received my license I told him that I received my license in the mail and he said yes the district board felt like you needed them since you're preaching all over <laughs> <laughs> so uh, let me ask you um around that time what was it how did you get those opportunities did people just call you or the pastors just called me when they wanted me or needed me and um I remember my first revival at age 16, mm-hmm. my first two weeks. Back in those days, it was two weeks to, uh, of nights without a rest night. Yeah. And uh, I remember uh, very vividly that meeting, and uh, I felt like I wanted I wanted to dedicate myself to 
to mold the lives of young people because yeah. the church was filled with young people. Yeah. And uh, I, I ministered that night, but I had prayed so fervently for the first night. And I said, Lord, I'm not sure when I knelt at the, bin, at the uh, seat behind me, I, I, I said, Lord, I'm not sure that I... I have accomplished what I really wanted to. Mm. And in my mind, he told me to turn around and look. And the altar was filled with young people. Wow. And it was one of those nights that I felt so blessed of God to yeah. have the privilege uh, to be able to reach into the hearts and lives of young people like myself. Yeah. And so that was that was my first revival at age sixteen. Wow, man! I, you know, I I think I preached my first message at sixteen, and it was I remember it was at a youth retreat. Now, it's so it's so cool hearing that you you preached your own you preached a revival by by the age by the time you were sixteen. Yes. So I think and that, I think now that's rare. You know, I, I don't, you don't hear a lot of, about, about young people, but I've, I've, you know, I'm my pastor, uh, especially, you know, he's anytime I've talked to, to ministers of, of your generation, they got their start young and I don't know. It just seems like stuff happened. They got farther quicker. Is that, what, what do you think the difference is there from when you were, when you were 16 to now? And I'm not saying that I, I didn't. Uh, without criticism, because I love our churches, mm -hmm. but but I think I think in a large manner, our churches have come to a point of almost like Laodicea, in which um, in which we have our beautiful and and uh, magnificent edifices that we walk into with all the modern technology and things of this nature but back in my day it was a 40 it was a 40 watt bulb over the pulpit <laughs> and uh, you depended upon God a lot more then wow um, I'm not a, I, I am totally for education and training so don't misunderstand what I'm saying mm. but I think back in in my day my early days of ministry it was a time of depending upon Jesus Christ, mm. and I'd like to I'd like to mention something about that particular time. I was a senior in high school, mm. and uh, I would be studying in the study hall during the lunch hour and fasting my lunch hour in order to study for the night service mm. because I would be preaching a, a meeting somewhere and. Uh, the my friends and other people that I didn't even know at times would come and ask me Bible questions. Yeah, and uh, I would I would explain to them what I felt would be the answer to their questions, and and uh, so they said, "Well, Brother Scott, why can't we start uh, a Bible study?" And so I went to one of my teachers that I knew real, real well and asked her would she sponsor it, and she said yes. And so every Wednesday, instead of having lunch, we would have a service, and I would speak to the 
to the young people then. Yeah. I went to my 40th. My wife and I went to our 40th anniversary of, of graduation. And um, one of the teachers told me, she said, did you know that your Bible study was still going on? Really? 40 years later. Wow. And it was one of the elder teachers, you know, that knew me. And uh, I was so shocked because even even at that time, they, the schools were not allowing too much of the Bible, you know. Yeah. But um, I, I was gratified to know that. Wow. And 40 years. 40 years, and that's a Bible study at a school. And uh, that uh, I haven't heard anything lately of any kind, but I'm sure that it doesn't exist now or feel like it doesn't. <laughs> But even then, I mean, that wouldn't have been too long ago that it that it ended. When well, I graduated in 1950, <laughs> so that would have been 1990. Hey, hey. <laughs> oh man! So you now you you just talked about your senior year. Uh, when was it that you went to the mission field? Uh, back to, let me talk a little bit about my senior year. Okay. Um, my, my ministry um, was well known in high school. Mm. And um, there would be people come to me and talk to me and counsel with me. My, uh, my principal, Mr. Irvin, asked me during our graduation if I would do the spiritual element. Mm -hmm. And I was what? able to speak again, you know, to the to the graduating class. Mm. And I, I felt like that was such an honor. Yeah. So um, I, I became a pastor. I had preached for the Open Door Church and, and, and those that will be hearing this podcast... Uh, we'll remember that. Mm. But I pastored the Open Door Church in Charleston, West Virginia. Okay. And uh, uh, I was I, I was preaching a revival earlier, a year earlier. And the pastor was elderly, the founding pastor. And he told his wife, he said, if, if anything ever happens to me, I'd like for that boy to pastor my church. And... I felt a calling, actually, to Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, and Brother Pear was the superintendent at that time. Now, we're talking 1958. Okay. And um, so he was the superintendent of the Pennsylvania District at that time, and uh, I, I counseled with him about starting a church in in Philadelphia. I had a revival scheduled in Terre Haute and in Columbus, uh, Ohio, Terre Haute, Indiana, and Columbus, Ohio, and I was working my way toward Pennsylvania to get started. Yeah. And uh, the elderly pastor died. Wow. And uh, his wife, his widow, uh, called me and told me what her husband had said. And I told her, I said, I'm, I'm so sorry, I'm already committed to something else. Mm. And I said, I'm, I'm planning on planting a church in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Mm. And, um, and so 
the church had been that church had been in and out of the uh, of the organization not for any any misdeeds or anything like that it was just the pastor didn't feel that 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 it was that necessary for organization yeah and so I, I told her that and she said well brother scott we don't know anything hardly about the upc mm. and and she, she said frankly i'm at loss on what to do mm. so i felt the leading of god to cancel my meeting with brother romine mm. in Terhode, indiana and brother stewart in in uh in columbus ohio and I told her that I would help her find a pastor. So I went there and began to speak uh, during the services and to manage the affairs of the church, except for the business part, and she handled that. And uh, so the time came that it was running out of time for me. Mm. And I had brought in beautiful men that, 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 that spoke with 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 magnificent anointing and the church didn't seem to be interested at all yeah and so one night uh, the pastor's widow stood in the church and asked could she say something and and i said yes and so she uh, she said i feel like the lord has spoken to me of why we're searching for a pastor when our pastor's already filling the pulpit. And I, I, I will confess, I was a little bit angry that night. And my wife said, I saw the anger come across your face because you didn't know what to do with that. <laughs> I imagine. And so that night, the Lord gave me a dream. Okay. And it was to pastor the church. So I told my presbyter, who was also my pastor, I said, uh, I, I want to have a business session, an election. If I get 100% vote, then I'll take the church. Mm. And there were 10, 10 preachers sitting on the platform. So I said, he said, Brother Scott, he called me Brother Danny. He <laughs> said, Brother Danny, they... They don't elect a pastor with a hundred percent, especially if there's if there's men on the uh, on the platform that would like to be the pastor. Yeah, and I said, well, then my answer would be no. Mm. So I said a hundred percent, or if it's not a hundred percent, I'm going to Philadelphia. Wow. So that night of the election. I did get a hundred percent, even including those ten ministers that were sitting on the platform, and the open door people that are still living yeah. will remember that. Of course, oh, they wow. they were young back then. <laughs> I'm talking about 1958. Man, so how so, old were you when this happened? Uh, well, figured out. I was born in 1932. <laughs> <laughs> so was that 26? So um, actually, I was elected in 1959. In 1958, in September, is when I went to the church. Mm. And it was uh, in February of, of uh, uh, 1959 that we had the election and I became the pastor. <laughs> <laughs> wow. And how long did you pastor there? I pastored for 12 years. 
And the question that you asked previously about when I went to Ecuador, I loved that church. Mm -hmm. And if I'm not mistaken, that church loved me. Mm. And uh, I don't think I am because they treated me, they treated me so wonderfully. And, uh, and my wife as well, they just, they just hovered over us. And, uh, and so I, I was sleeping one night, and up into the morning, about 2 o'clock, I felt the hand of the Lord on my shoulders to pray. And I went downstairs to the living room, and I knelt before the sofa. And I began to pray, but I prayed for an hour, and God didn't say anything to me. Yeah. So I thought, well, he just wanted me to pray. Mm. And when I opened my eyes, the wall behind me became a gigantic screen of infinity. Mm. And I saw an unpaved street with houses built on both sides that were of thatched roof. And the people were dressed rather strangely to me at the time. And I said, Lord, what does this mean? You never want to ask God that question. <laughs> because he'll be sure to tell you. And he, he told me, and some people may not, may not agree with this, but I'm sorry, it's my experience. Yeah. And he spoke to me in an audible voice. Mm. And he told me, he said, son, I'm going to take you out of the church that you love so well. And I'm going to send you to Ecuador, South America as a missionary. And this is what I want you to do when you get there. Mm. And he gave me a list of things that needed to be done. Things I had no idea of, of what they meant. But uh, I was already too late to apply for life for a missionary appointment. Yeah. So I, I, I wrote Brother Box and told him he was the secretary at the time. And I wrote to him and explained the situation. He said, well, Brother Vogel wants to see you. Mm. So we, we went there, and to make a long story short, he he interviewed me, and and I tearfully was presenting my case before him. And uh, he said, Brother Scott, will you go anywhere the board would like to send you? And I said, oh, no, no, no. I will, <laughs> I will not go anywhere. I don't want to leave my church. Mm. And I said, if 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 you don't appoint me as a missionary, I'll count myself that God's just asking me if I'm willing. Yeah. And, um, and so I'll go back and pastor my church. Mm. I don't want to leave it anyhow. And, um, so he, he looked around and he, and to the foreign missions board and he said, brethren, meet the new missionary <laughs> to Ecuador, South America. And that was my calling. Wow. Wow. Did you, so before that dream, had you had any inkling that you were going to go overseas? No. <laughs> I, I, I lived in a time when pastors just, they just pastored their churches, you know, and there didn't seem to be a retirement at that time or changing of pastors right and left like there are, like there is now. And uh, I just considered myself a pastor for the rest of my life. Yeah. I love my church. Mm. And the open door people that are still living know that. Mm. 
And we still have an open door gathering at the general conference. (laughs) And there's those young people nowadays are gray headed and walking with caves and walkers. (laughs) (laughs) So when you left, what happened to the open door church? Uh, I had an assistant by the name of uh, Douglas Rochelle from Texas. Okay. And, uh, and, and when, when I, I did not influence the people. I didn't make any suggestions. I told them it was their, it was their duty to, to elect a pastor of their choice. Yeah. And that left it open. And uh, when the election took place, they elected Brother Rochelle as the pastor okay. of the church. Oh. So now you're going to Ecuador. What did that, did you, did you have to sell everything and go or did you just... I sold my home and um, put the money in savings. I had no idea what the future was going to do. And my wife was totally behind me. Okay. She she had she had no questions. That's good. And uh and so uh, we sold our, our belongings except what we felt like we needed in Ecuador and we shipped that. And we shipped it to Ecuador. So did your wife did she did she have any confirming of this or did she just trust you and trust God? Um my wife died last year uh, well actually it's in 1919 or 2019 in may may the 27th uh, 2019 and shortly before she became disabled mm-hmm. with a stroke um, i asked her i said honey you've never asked me you've never you've never had a question about when god changed our ministry so many times and she said Dan wherever you are that's my ministry wow that was my wife's attitude and my children even today they say that my wife their mother was not a wallflower by any means yeah but they knew that 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 my wife and I had such a relationship with God that we were going to obey God no matter what. Yeah. Uh, my my eldest daughter that pastors she and her husband in Amarillo, and she'll be listening to this, and so <laughs> she'll know. But she told me one time that her mother told her, "I love you, children. I love you with all of my heart. But one day you'll belong to someone else, and I want you to know that your your daddy is the love of my life." Wow. So those are things that I I cherish. Man. So you and your wife moved to Ecuador. Yes. What's what does God start doing when when you get there? Do you uh I didn't understand the the I didn't understand the list that God had given me until I got there. What was on the list? Well, I, I would I would prefer to leave that in oh, God's yes. hands because it it has some negatives involved and and the church is never negative <laughs> and uh, it was God's it was God's requirement that He gave me to 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 handle those situations and mm. we did 
Was there an established church there at all? Uh, Sister Lucille Farmer had been there. Well, I'm going to bring this in uh, because there's people that know about it, uh, the elder ministers especially. Um, when when Columbia went national, when they went uh, with a degree of nationalization, they called it back in those days. Yeah. I don't call it that anymore. Mm. I call it under national leadership. Gotcha. Because nationalization means that they're taken over. <laughs> and uh, so uh, at that time, there was a division in, in, the, in the United Pentecostal Church and the United Pentecostal Church of Columbia. Okay. And I'll leave that. Uh, if anybody wants to study that, they can go back into the history of the church and find it. Yeah. But um, the, the, the fact was that uh, when, when I went there, the, the National Church had a missionary in, Columbia, in Ecuador. Mm. And Sister Lucille Farmer had been a model missionary. Yeah. I mean, she was a god. She was one of the most godly women I've ever known. She became the grandmother of my children. And, uh, and so she had one church that was left to her, even though she had financed the starting of a number of churches through the United Pentecostal Church of St. Louis and the and the local assemblies here that were financing her there. Uh, but when the division took place, that left her alone. Okay. And she only had a one little one little church of thirteen women. Mm. And it was on the on on the what they call Calle, which is a street, a Calle of Los Rios. Okay. And uh, it was a two-car garage transformed into a church. Amazing. I'll never forget the first night in that meeting. She asked me to come, and she would interpret for me because I could not speak Spanish. <laughs> and um, so I went, and the Bible, the Bible stand was an orange crate. Really? On its end. Really? It even had a shelf in the middle. <laughs> <laughs> and it had a white cloth over it. So, But when I went up there, my mind went back to my beautiful pulpit uh, <laughs> at, at the open door. <laughs> they had built that pulpit especially for me because I was small of stature. <laughs> and uh, I smiled to myself. And if I've ever felt a, a rebuke from God, I did. Really? And he rebuked me soundly. And he said, son, I have called you here. Mm. This is your new work. And I will, bring, I will bring you into a ministry that will result in thousands. Wow. And I will show you the harvest that I will give you here if you will trust me. They've got over 50,000 now. Wow. And the churches, the, the church that I started there uh, with her, uh, with those 13 little ladies, they, uh, that church seats 1,500, and the pastor has to have three services a day in order to accommodate the crowd. Wow. I spoke there not long ago, and uh, he, uh, 
he told the people at the eight o'clock service, I was to speak in the eight and the 10 and the one. <laughs> and uh, he told the church, he said, I'm going to ask you a special favor today. He says, if you've come to the eight o'clock service, please don't come back for the 10. I know you, I know you want to see Brother Scott. <laughs> It's oh, the first time man. I told him. I said that's the first time I've ever heard a pastor beg the people not, <laughs> not to, to come to church. <laughs> <laughs> no, you don't find that anywhere else, man. So fifty thousand people. Yes, fifty thousand people. So I have I have a picture of it. I'll show you after we finish here. I have a picture on my on my phone. I think I can't wait to see it, man. So <laughs> as far as you can see, it's people. <laughs> They, so, they they have services that they can they can bring together twenty five thousand people anytime. Really? Yeah. Where do they gather? They gather in. I started a uh, a convention center. Okay. Uh, a headquarters and convention center, and um, situations came up that 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 property had to be sold, mm. and so they bought across the highway another farm across the highway and uh, they built they built a beautiful convention center there a retirement center for 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 pastors that had become disabled or elderly and not able to care for themselves and and their wives and if if a wife was a widow she she can go there as well i'm telling you they've got a real vision for the future man that's so that's so good to hear so, fifty thousand people. How does how do you get from thirteen to fifty thousand? Well, you want to you want to hear a time that I fought with the devil? Yeah, <laughs> like all of us do. I uh, I I fell on my face so many times, innumerable times, praying for revival. I even told God, I said, you brought me here now. Where is my revival? Yeah. Where is my, where is my harvest? Because it was not happening, really. Mm. And, uh, but I didn't realize it was because of my lack of language. <laughs> <laughs> but, but my heart was in, my heart was in winning souls. Yeah. And so one, one night, uh, well, let me go back one Sunday. I asked the church to go on a, um, a round-the-clock prayer service mm. and that my wife and I had already spoken with her. My wife and I would take the difficult hours of 2 to 3 and 3 to 4 yeah, because of the people's working. You know, I didn't want them to lose their sleep. And, uh, and so during the Wednesday night after service, during the Wednesday night, I should say early the next morning, uh, I was in my two o'clock service, uh, prayer service, and and I, I felt a stench that it was nauseating, mm. and uh, and I, 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 it's difficult to explain, but all at once I saw the infinity of vision of a humongous, like a, a government-style building mm -hmm. with a portico out front. And uh, a man walked through that door, 
an astute-looking individual dressed immaculately, and uh, he had a briefcase in his hand, and he walked out, and he stopped, and he looked at me, and he began to laugh. He laughed until actually his mouth just covered his face, huh. laughing. And I, so I only knew one thing to do, and that was rebuke him in Jesus' name. <laughs> so I rebuked him in Jesus' name, and it didn't work. Wow. And I'm, I'm, I'm saying this honestly. Yeah. It did not work. And I rebuked him a number of times, and it, he just laughed the more. And all at oh. once, the Lord put this, this scripture in my mind that even Michael the archangel could not bring railing of accusation against him. Rather, he said, the Lord rebuke thee. And I, I, I did that. I said, the Lord Jesus Christ rebuke you. He became a whimpering child. Really? He just, he tried to run away and he couldn't, I don't know what was out to the right. And then he turned around and went this way and he stopped abruptly and I don't know what was out there. But then he was looking at me and he was whimpering like, like a child. And... Uh, so all at once he looked up and there was sand drifting down on his face. And uh, I looked up also and there was a crack that started in that portico. Yeah. And it just kept moving and began to, to implode upon him. Wow. And when it was over, I shut my eyes because I was exhausted. You talk about fear. The hair stood up on the back of my neck. I can imagine. <laughs> and uh, and so I uh, I shut my eyes, and all at once I smelled the most beautiful fragrance. And I opened my eyes, and as far as I could see, it was a wheat field ready for harvest. Wow. Roses, red roses, beautiful roses interspersed in all of that, which the Lord was talking to me that this is the harvest and it's going to be beautiful. Come on. And so all at once I began to speak in in tongues and and it was a, it was so fluent that it it amazed me. I, if you if you understand what I'm talking about, it was just flowing. And, and for sometimes it went. And then when it was over, I, I, I settled back on my heels. I was so exhausted. And then the English translation came. It was the interpretation of what he had spoken through me. He wanted to make it meaningful to me. And he said, son, you are my highest authority in this country. Satan had to send his highest authority to do battle with you, and you've just done hand-to-hand -hand battle with the Prince of Ecuador. Wow. And he said, you have defeated him in this battle, but remember that one battle does not determine the outcome of the war. Yeah. There will be many battles that you'll have to fight, but I will be with you. From that moment, Ecuador began to feel the, the earthquaking revival that it started until Brother Tenney, who was the director at that time, said that Ecuador was the cradle of evangelism. Mm. And we, we started 
we started having such wonderful news from all the little churches that we had started and uh, they would say something like, and I, I'm, I'm drawing from memory. Yeah. Uh, they would say something like, Brother Scott, we had such an overflowing crowd of visitors last night. Ten came to the altar and received the Holy Ghost. That's Things awesome. of that nature. That's I, awesome. And uh, my wife was so excited about what was happening. And so if you want revival, then you've got to defeat the prince of your city. Wow. And I, I need to go one step farther, at least one of the battles that I had. And I took Brother Graham, my pastor at that time of uh, the sanctuary, and showed him uh, what, what I'm going to tell you. Okay. But I had preached in Santo Domingo, which was a three-hour trip between Quito and Santo Domingo, but you have to come over the Andes Mountains, which is a very, at that time, was a very dangerous highway. Wow. And uh, some of the cliffs over didn't even have a berm. Really? And and so it was a dangerous place, and buses and things would go over, and, and of course, they would fall for a long distance well anyhow I had preached in the afternoon and after I had eaten uh, a bite I started home because I, I'm a homebody yeah I, lo I love them but I loved my wife and my family and I wanted to be with them as much as I could and I traveled extensively in Ecuador and so I, want, I wanted to go home so uh, early in the evening I started home and I got into the dangerous area of, of that highway. And it was three hours from then until I would get home. And I smelled that same nauseating smell. And I looked over and there was that individual sitting in my, dry, in my passenger seat just like he was as calm as collected. This is the prince? Yeah, the prince. Wow. He was sitting there on the tent and he just folded his arms and he had his had his uh, legs crossed and just like he was normally traveling. And I, I said, Lord, I can't I can't fight this battle right here. This is dangerous. I can't even stop anywhere. And uh, and all at once, the next thing I knew, my head hit the steering wheel. And I raised up my head, and I was heading for for one of those cliffs that would go over. And I, I cried out to God, and I jerked the wheel around and got, got back on the highway. And I said, Lord, please lay me on somebody's heart. Wow. And Brother, Brother Carpenter, in, who was a missionary in South Africa at that time, I didn't know him personally nor did he know me but i said lord lay me on someone's heart and so the next general conference i was at home uh, by request of brother judd who wanted me to do something at home and so i came and brought my family uh, to the fort worth conference it was when fort the conference was in fort worth texas and and so Brother Mac Carpenter walked up to me and he said, Brother Scott, I don't know you. I've never met you to my knowledge. 
But he said, I've got something for you. And so he reached in his shirt pocket and he pulled out a little spiral notepad and he flipped through it and he read me. On such and such a night, I forget the date on it now, mm-hmm. on such and such a night, the Lord awakened me out of sleep and said to me, pray for my servant Daniel Scott in Ecuador. He is in danger of his life. And Max said, I prayed, Brother Scott, for three hours until that burden lifted. That's powerful. Think of that. It was three hours' time until I closed the door in my house, and I never once looked over to see if he was still there. <laughs> I was scared. That's powerful. Come on. we. You know, I don't think it's... I know the perfect love casteth out fear, but friend, when you're face to face with an with an with a, an enemy like that, yeah. But uh, Mac told me he prayed for three hours until the burden lifted. Man, God is faithful. So I took Brother Graham and I showed him the place where I was about ready to go over. They wouldn't never have found me. Really? Unless they would have seen tracks or something because it was just to go over and way down there would be forestry, you know. Mm -hmm. So nobody goes into that area. (laughs) Anyhow, that was one of the battles. And how how many times do you think that you you encountered him? Well, I, I never encountered him personally. Uh, but those two times. Yeah. But I did have a lot of times that that we had situations that I had to depend upon God to to resolve. Mm. We 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 had tremendous miracles in Ecuador that that went far. Then the information of that went far and wide, and people would come to the church, you know. And expecting something to happen. Yeah. Tell us about those miracles. One of the one of the main miracles that that I can sh- tell you, I've got two that I can mention real quickly. One was Sister Nay. Hmm. She was from Esmeraldas on the other side of Ecuador from Quito. We knew her. We knew her husband. Her husband was one of our our conference singers. Yeah, and uh, and so she walked into the church one um, one Sunday night, and uh, the Lord spoke to me and said she's ill and she needs prayer. But before I could do anything, I asked her would she would she testify because she was an important lady, you know, mm-hmm. or in our estimation. And uh, she prayed. She said uh, she's glad to be here, but she didn't mention anything about being sick. But I knew that God had spoken to me. And I said, Sister Nay, while you're standing there, I want the church to pray for you. Mm. So we prayed for her. On Wednesday night, she came back to the service. And she she had been sent from Esmeralda's to Quito because of the modern medical equipment they have there. Her body was full of cancer. Wow. And um, she said, the x-rays that I was carrying to bring to the hospital 
I presented him to the doctor, and he wanted to take some new x-rays. So he took some new x-rays, and when he came back into the room, he said to me, are you sure these are your x-rays? Oh, man. And she said, yes, I'm sure they're my x-rays. And uh, so he said, here are your x-rays that show your body full of cancer. Here's your x-ray that shows that you're comp- there's nothing there. Wow. And she said, I knew the Lord had healed me Sunday night. Mm. But I went to the doctor just the same. Did, did stuff happen like that often? I'm sorry? Did miracles happen like that often? Uh, well, our, our pastor's wife had a stroke. Mm. Now, they'll hear this because my, my, uh, my son-in-law, it was his mother. Really? And uh, her name is Limones. Okay. And um, Velma, actually. <laughs> and uh, she'll hear this. Uh-huh. So she'll know she'll know that I'm talking about it but Scotty um, Scotty was there with uh, in a revival with us and so uh, I asked him I said Scotty would you go up and help me to pray for Sister Limonis I said she's had a stroke and she's paralyzed on her left side Mm. so my wife and I and her her son um I want to be careful how I'll say this. Her son was not in good condition at that time. Yeah. And he was sitting, I'm not talking about, I'm talking about my, my son-in-law's brother. Mm-hmm. And so he was sitting on the, on the bed, the foot of the bed. When we walked in, uh, Scotty and I, we, we began to, we began to pray and Sister Limone spoke and she said, Sister Joy, that's my wife's name. She said, Sister Joy, will you take my left hand and would you lift it so I can lift both hands to God? And my wife took her by the hand and we heard a scuffle. And I looked over in the corner and there was her son that had been knocked off the bed into the corner of the room. And Sister Sister Vilma was shouting and both hands were going and she was healed completely and immediately. Praise God. Praise God. Man, so is what's the what's the coolest thing in your opinion that God has that God has done in your life? Okay. The coolest thing happened at the church that I that I founded in Cross Lanes, West Virginia, when I became near fatally ill and had to come and resign my my missionary appointment. It was God doing it because again he knew I'd never leave there. <laughs> Brother Urshan used to say that that uh, God let me get sick so I'd leave Ecuador. <laughs> You sound, but, you sound stubborn. <laughs> well, <laughs> you get comfortable doing things, you know. Yeah. And um, so I was, I had founded the church in Cross Lanes, West Virginia. Mm. And it was a miracle church to start with. And uh, the people uh, wouldn't even take vacations because of the miracles that took place during, during that, uh, during that time, and they said, "I'm not going to take a vacation. I might miss, miss something. Yeah, I don't want to miss anything." 
and uh, an open door. I mean, uh, Cross Lanes people are hearing this too, so yeah. they'll know. But uh, anyhow, uh, a, a young pastor was discouraged, and by this time, I'm getting in my late later forties. Okay, and. Uh, so he came to my, my office and asked me would I counsel with him and his wife that he was ready to throw the towel in, as he said. Mm. And so we went to the local restaurant to where I could, you know, talk to him across the table. And I let my wife and his wife talk over to one side. And I began to encourage him in the Lord and felt like that that the job was accomplished. Mm. When we got back to the church, I had a full-time secretary, and she told me, she said, Brother Scott, uh, Sister Gala, a woman and her husband had just given their heart to God about three months previously and receiving the Holy Ghost. And uh, she's called, and her daughter, who was, um, who was, an unwed mother mm. uh, has just given birth, and Sister Gala is weeping terribly, and she needs you. So I jumped back in the car, my wife and I. We drove to the hospital, which is about 10 or 15 minutes away. And when we got there, Sister Gala fell on my shoulder weeping, and she said, Brother, Brother Scott, my granddaughter has been born without bones in her legs. The, the x-ray showed that from mid-thigh to mid-calf, there is no bone, Man. no knee. Mm. And uh, so I went in and I prayed for the young lady that she was just a Sunday school girl at that time. And uh, I tried to counsel with her, but she knew nothing about God. She knew nothing about uh, what God could do for any individual, and she felt resentful about the child. Mm. And so I went home that night about 8, 8.30 or whatever, and I told my wife, I said, Joy, I'm going to, I'm going to go before God in prayer. I said, I felt like I did not get accomplished what I needed to in Crystal's life. Yeah. And so I began to pray, and I prayed through the night. And early in the morning, I saw a vision. I used to carry, it looked like a fountain pen, but it was anointing oil. Mm. And I, I, I reached into my pocket, pulled out the anointing oil, and anointed both of the knees of that child, and I saw the bones snap together. Man. Okay? So I couldn't wait till the next morning. It was near dawn anyhow, <laughs> so I couldn't wait, and I went down there, but she, Crystal, had given uh, orders that no one was to come in except her parents. Mm. So she just didn't want to talk about the child, and so I had to wait until she took the child home. And when I, when I went to see the child, she was staying with her parents, and when I went to see him, the child was encased in, in, in plaster of Paris from the waist all the way to the feet. Yeah. And uh, so I walked in, and I pulled the anointing oil out of my pocket like I'd seen myself do. And I started singing, God is so good. 
-hmm. Just a beautiful, beautiful chorus. Tears running down my cheeks because I knew that God was going to do a miracle. And I began to pray and seek God as I was singing. And I walked over to that child and I anointed the plaster of Paris where her knees would have been. And I heard somebody scream. And I opened my eyes and the grandfather of that child was bending over. He said, Brother Scott, I saw the bones come together. Really? Right. And so uh, children at that age, you know, grow fast. So they took the child back to the doctor and he took the cast saw and, and uh, opened that cast. And when the cast fell off, the baby kicked him in the chest. <laughs> and he screamed for the nurse. And he, he, he said, take this child to the x-ray. And he came back told the parents said here is the x-ray she does not have bones in her in her legs here is a new x-ray shows her normal child god is good and so seven years later i'm in california now working for home missions mm -hmm. had to leave another church that i had to leave <laughs> and uh, and so i i, I was uh, I was called by the pastor to come, and uh, they're going to have a homecoming, hmm. and he wanted me to speak for it. So um, I came, and uh, I talked to Gala. Gala was one of the first ones I saw at the picnic they had outside the church. And I said, Gala, where is that child? Where's your grandchild? And she said, there she is riding her bicycle. So I called her over and criticized me, if you will. <laughs> but I, I, when that child came over, seven years old, I reached down and I, I felt both of her knees. And they were normal. Wow. And I told her, I called her by name. I can't remember the name right now. But I called by name. I said, I, said, I want to let you know that you would never have had a life had it not been for Jesus Christ. Mm. Now, that's in 1986. So <laughs> it's been that long ago. She received the Holy Ghost and she's living. I don't know where she is right now, but I, I do understand that she did repent and get the Holy Ghost. Come on. But anyhow, I told her, I said, don't forget that had it not been for God Almighty, you would never have a life that you wouldn't be riding this bicycle. Mm. She said, Brother Scott, Grandma will never let me live it down. <laughs> she will never let me forget. So you asked me what was the most exciting thing. Yeah. I think that was the most exciting. That's pretty exciting. Bones out of nowhere. <laughs> wow. And you got to see her. Yes. You got to see her seven years later. How, did you ever see her again after no. that? No. But contacts with the church, sometimes they would, they would write me. I, I, I had no communication with, with the exception of one man that was kin to me. Uh -huh. And uh, that one person uh, always made sure that I understand if somebody died or somebody was in the hospital or something, they would let me know. And uh, that, was my, that was my communication to know about the child. Man, so... They've got a they've got a beautiful church there now. I can imagine. I mean, 
We we were running 140 the first year. The first year? First year. That's good. Yeah. We were born, our church, our Pentecostal church was born out of a Presbyterian womb. (laughs) We bought, uh, three months after we had started the church, we bought the former Perot Memorial Presbyterian Church. And while we didn't have a place to worship, Uh and they had not started their new building yet, He said, why don't you just worship with us? You could have Sunday afternoon, Tuesdays and Thursdays, and we'll take our regular schedule of oh, Sunday morning, ready. Sunday night, Wednesday. Yeah. <laughs> so over a period of time, I did not know it until he confessed to me, but he would come to the door and listen behind the closed door from his, uh, he would he would come to the sanctuary, and my people would feel at that particular time would feel two pews, <laughs> and uh, he would hear me. And one night he came running down to the office, or rather one day he came running down to the office, and he said, "Brother Scott, I just received the Holy Ghost." What? And I said, "What?" He said, "I've just received the Holy Ghost." He said, I've been listening to your Bible teaching. <laughs> this is the pastor? <laughs> the pastor of the Presbyterian <laughs> Church. And so I, I I can't go into all the details, but he became a, a fantastic leader. Man. Filled with the Holy Ghost, talking with tongues. He sent his deacons over one time when they got their church built and asked me how to install a baptistry. <laughs> he baptized over 250 of his church wow. in Lake Chueva in the name of Jesus Christ. Come on. Man. <laughs> he was baptized in Jesus' name, filled with the Holy Ghost, and they took him before the presbytery board. No. And he was scared. Because I hadn't talked too much to him, you know. Yeah. And uh, he he wanted to resign his church and, and come and sit under me. <laughs> and I told him, I said, no, just pastor your church. You're no longer a Presbyterian. You're a presby- Presbycostal. <laughs> <laughs> Man, so. And as far as I know, he's still solid in what he believes. But he's no longer there. He's, he's still alive? Oh, yeah. Wow, man. Yeah, I heard from him just about two months ago. Really? Yeah. Man, revival seems to I think to he's in uh, Oklahoma somewhere. He's not with the United Pentecostal Church. Yeah. But uh, to my knowledge, he still holds tight to what, what I taught him. <laughs> Which, man, I know was good stuff. So revival seems to follow you around. Or rather, maybe it's you following revival. The secret is find out what God is doing and get involved. (laughs) (laughs) He'll do it and he'll stir it with a big stick if you'll let him. (laughs) How do you, how would you, how would you tell someone to do that? How would I tell someone? It starts through prayer. Naturally, that's the easy answer. Yeah. The hard answer is when and how much. Mm. But um, my mom, she had the Holy Ghost 78 years, and she was one of the first. I think she was the second baptized in Jesus' name in our locality of our of our state of West Virginia. 
And uh, she had a prayer service every morning. There were, I mean, she could have had a prayer service with us kids. There were 14 of us. <laughs> uh, my mother... I'm sorry. Can you can you can you edit that out? Yeah. Okay. Uh, my mother, uh, she prayed every morning from five to six, and she said that is God's time. Mm. And she told me when I was in ministry as a, as a teenager, she said, "Then you can preach without prayer." You can preach from your intellect without prayer, but you will speak head to head. If you want to speak heart to heart, you're going to have to have God's anointing upon your life, and that means prayer. So I adopted my mother's way, even as a teenager. And this morning, how many years does that make? from five to six of the morning belongs to God in my life. And if you want me to tell you how that a person can get involved with God like that, take five to six of the morning or whenever yeah, and dedicate your life and your service to God and ask Him as I do every morning, Lord, take my steps and lead them wherever you wish today. But all I've ever wanted is to exalt your name. Let me be involved in your kingdom. That's, that's, that's something that I pray constantly. But I want to give God. He's the best friend I've got. I can see that. At the age of 88, I don't know how much longer God has given me to live but he has directed my steps and I'm I'm sitting on the pew of of the sanctuary but I've had ministers that prophesied over me and said your pulpit ministry will diminish but your influence will increase mm. so I have no I have no criticism with God for my pulpit ministry because the majority of my ministry was overseas yeah you know, it was it was teaching in a Bible school, preaching a regional conference, going here, going there, because my my closest friends were missionaries. Mm. So my, the fact is that my pulpit ministry here has diminished, even though I do speak out occasionally. Yeah. But I only go, I don't accept invitations that said, Brother Scott, come and preach for me. Mm-hmm. If he needs me, I'll go. But over the, over the 75 years of my ministry, I'm not interested in just going and filling a pulpit. If I can help him, if God leads me and, and, and lets me know he wants me to go somewhere, I will do that. But I'm not interested in just going and filling a pulpit and speaking. Does that make sense? It makes a lot of sense. Now, have you ever had times where you 
I don't want to say maybe question your faith, but it was harder than others. Well, you remember David was a man after God's own heart. But there were times that David doubted. Mm. And David said, Lord, why am I so isolated? I felt isolated at times. But my faith keeps me going strong. And uh, the one time that, that it was it, it very emotional... It was in Ecuador. I'd been there six months, and we had not really had any move of God that I intended. And so I was I was traveling from Quito to Guayaquil, which is a seven-hour trip. And usually you go directly through Keenan Day, or not Keenan Day, but um, well, one of the cities there. I'm sorry. It's My fine. mind's not working right now. <laughs> And uh, we usually went through there and got us a bowl of soup or something. But this time there was an urgency that someone needed me. So I went on the bypass and it was up on a hill like this. And I looked, I, I, I was praying and I, I said, Lord, why did you bring me here? You brought me out of a revival church. And you brought me to this country, and I, I'm not seeing what I feel like that you would have me to see. And this was long before the fight with the devil. <laughs> and, and so I took my fist, and I hit the steering wheel like that, you know. And all at once, my head... He took as if I could feel his hands take and turn my face, and I saw the vision that I had seen six months earlier or the months of time earlier before I had gone to Ecuador. I saw that vision of that one street unpaved and the same people. The Lord just took it in, in, into, resp uh, into what we call retro. <laughs> <laughs> he put it in backup. Yeah. And it took me back to that time, and I saw that, and I stopped my car, and I got out, and I knelt on the side of the road, and I said, Lord, I will never doubt you again, hmm. and I have not. Now, I could sit here all day and, and just listen to your stories um, and about your life and how God has, has just worked such amazing things. Because, I mean, you said something. You said that God is your best friend. Yes. And from everything you've told me, I see that. He's he's taking care of you every step of the way. And, but before we go. Um, I, I want to say one thing before you end this. Mm -hmm. I told you before we went into this uh, little session, I want God to get to glory. Yeah. Because the way I told you then is what I believe. We're just instruments in God's hands, powerless without Him. Take a carpenter tool in the latest technology. It can be ever so effective, but unless the master craftsman lays his hand on that tool, it's useless. So are we. Hmm. 
Even Jesus said, without me, you can do nothing. And I want to make sure that the listeners of this, of this cast, I want to make sure that they understand that if we have miracles and God can or people can attribute those miracles to the hands of the minister laying his hands upon the individual or the person needing the miracle without Jesus Christ in that there will be no miracle right and if he does not give God the glory he'll move on to someone who will give him honor and glory because even he said I'm a jealous God yeah and that's the way I believe it. Okay, now, I'll turn it over to you. <laughs> I was going to ask you to say something to our listeners before we went, and I think that that's the perfect way to end it. That's the perfect way to end it. We're just instruments in the hands of God. Thank you so much for being with us here today, Brother Scott. Thank you for having me. It's It's been a joy. I, I will confess that I was a little anxious because... I don't want I don't want anyone, you know, to think that I'm more spiritual than I am or more powerful in the spirit than I am. I just want to be used of God. And I told the Lord in prayer the other morning, and when I draw my latest breath, let it be in your work. Mm. So good. Mm. Well, thank you. Thank you. And y'all, I really hope that y'all took everything that he said to heart, um, especially especially about not taking credit and being humble. Because oftentimes we deal with that, uh, especially those who are in ministry, uh, pride. Never forget that it's God. Never forget Y'all have a good day, and hopefully we, we get to do this again one day. Uh, but if we did it, this was this was amazing. So. 78, 75 years of active ministries. There's bound to be a lot of stories back here. <laughs>